a ver, digamos, ¿por qué nació el liberalismo? Para salir el yugo opresor de los monarcas. Digamos, esta casta que tenemos, son como los monarcas, y ni siquiera se autoheredan. Son los mismos que estaban en el 2001. No se fue ninguno, estos chorros se quedaron todos. Y hay más, porque además se multiplican, porque tenés que agregar la parentela, sí, porque además tenés que agregar la, la amante, porque tenés que agregar la familia del amante, y crece, y crece, y crece. Y el bolsillo, digamos, de los que producen, digamos, es cada vez más chico. O sea, entonces no puede ser que en un país si le vaya mejor a los parásitos de la política que el tipo que produce. Es decir, no te puede ir mejor ¿sí? siendo un parásito de la política que no produce nada y que cuando hace algo lo único que hace es daño. Porque una de las cosas que pasa, cada vez que interviene el Estado, se genera lo que se llama el fallo del Estado. O sea, fíjate esto, los planes con la, contra la pobreza, ¿qué hacen? Generan más pobres. Mira el caso argentino. El gran problema argentino es un problema cultural. Es decir, esta es una sociedad que está infectada de socialismo. Y lo que hay que lograr es sacar el socialismo de la cabeza de la gente, ¿sí? Y los principales promotores de estas ideas son los políticos. Los liberales somos los únicos que les enrostramos a los políticos que ellos no son la solución, que ellos son el problema. Los políticos son una suerte de sociópatas que quieren hacernos creer que nosotros somos inválidos en todo sentido porque no podemos vivir si no fuera por ellos. En realidad, los que no pueden vivir si nosotros son ellos. Es decir, si el país se separará entre los que producimos de un lado y del otro lado, queda la mierda de los políticos, los sindicalistas, todo este conjunto de parásitos se hunden, se mueren. Separemos la Argentina, en la Argentina del Norte y Argentina del Sur, ¿sabes qué? Los que estamos dispuestos a laburar nos vamos a la parte más pobre del país, le dejamos vaca muerta todo. Aún cuando se quedaran con todo, se van a hundir estas ratas porque no sirven para nada. En cambio, los que laburamos y sabemos ganarnos la vida, ¿sabes qué? Nos va a ir bien. Nosotros somos gente de bien, gente que labura, y no vivimos abogando por la envidia, el odio, el resentimiento, el robo, sí, el trato desigual frente a la ley, que es esa inmundicia de la justicia social que es lo más injusto que existe, porque implica robarle a una persona el fruto de su trabajo para dárselo a quien a mí se me da la gana, pero ¿de dónde salieron esta manga de sátrapa? ¿Sabes por qué? Porque además en todo ese proceso, no solo que destruyeron la economía, empobrecieron a la gente, sí, desde el año 70 hasta ahora el Estado se triplicó, multiplicaron por seis el número de pobres. Yo no me metí acá para estar guiando corderos, ya me metí acá para despertar leones y a escuchar a La única forma que vos tenés de salir de esto es haciendo reformas estructurales en favor del crecimiento económico. Yo lo estoy planteando con reformas de tres generaciones. La reforma de primera generación, segunda generación y tercera generación. La reforma de primera generación incluye una reforma del Estado, donde básicamente se elimina muchísimas partidas del gasto público vinculadas principalmente al robo de la política y a la ineficiencia técnica del Estado para poder bajar los impuestos, para poder volver a dinamizar la oferta de la economía, además flexibilizar el mercado laboral hacia adelante, y cuando vos tenés ese, esas dos reformas hechas, avanzás hacia la apertura de la economía. Eso lo que te va a dar es que por lo menos vas a tener 15 años de fuerte crecimiento económico. Con fuerte crecimiento económico vos podés recién pasar a las reformas de segunda generación. Tiene que ver con la reforma del sistema previsional para que vos no generes daño en los derechos adquiridos de los jubilados actuales. 
la reforma administrativa del Estado, ¿sí? para racionalizarlo, para llevarlo digamos, a un tamaño razonable, pagable. La única vez que se aplicó liberalismo puro en Argentina fue en el, a partir de 1860, y éramos un país de bárbaros, y en 35 años Argentina se convirtió en el país más rico del mundo. El capitalismo y el liberalismo no solo son superiores en lo productivo, hay una superioridad moral por abrazar los mejores valores de la sociedad de Occidente que se transformaron en instituciones que hicieron rico al planeta Tierra. No solo somos superiores en lo productivo, no solo hemos sacado millones de personas de la pobreza, no solo es el único sistema que es justo, sino que además somos estéticamente superiores. Yo lo que voy a reivindicar es la honorabilidad del Congreso. El Honorable Congreso de la Nación lleva ese nombre porque los legisladores eran ad honorem. Por lo tanto, yo voy a ir ad honorem. Yo no le voy a costar un solo centavo a ningún argentino porque voy a ir ad honorem. Quiero que sepan que ahora primero estamos nosotros, los que laburamos, los que nos rompemos el orto trabajando. Hey everyone, welcome to the Latina Libertarian with your host Olga Maria. Today I am speaking with a gentleman who is originally from Louisiana. Um, let me open up his uh, bio that he gave me. He's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now he resides in Tortuguitas, Buenos Aires in Argentina. He's a campaign advisor for the Libertarian Party there called La Libertad Avanza and um, with several campaigns in Malvinas. He moved to Argentina after meeting his wife online right before the start of COVID hysteria. Um, and despite one failed attempt to enter the country and getting stranded in Brazil, he finally made his way to be with his beautiful wife. Um, he has been a libertarian since the great Ron Paul awakened him in 2008. He's an anarcho-capitalist since 2011. He's a staunch advocate for liberty, vehemently anti-state. Um, in addition to campaigning for local libertarian candidate Fernando Sachin in Malvinas, Argentina, he's a longtime supporter of Javier Milei, who he hopes will be the next president of Argentina. Um, and so help me in welcoming Joram. Thank you for joining me, Joram, uh, all the way from Argentina via, via Louisiana. <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me. Viva la libertad, carajo. I know, I know. How can you not watch that video and be like, man, this guy, there's something about this guy. There's something, there's something special. Absolutely. And the thing is, um, I think, you know, he's a character. He has so much energy, um, but he's truly brilliant. Um, Javier Millet, we're going to be talking about him because this campaign right now in Argentina is the is the Ron Paul moment, I think, of South America. And I think that is not only going to impact Argentina and his he has already impacted Argentina. He won an election. He is a member of the Argentine House of Representatives. He's a representative there. And um, currently he's running for president as a libertarian, but he is, is a popular figure. He's an economist and he's been on many shows on all types of talk shows. And he shares very frankly and in very concise ways. He explains the problems of the economy, the problems of socialism, the failures of it in Argentina and the failures of these regimes. 
on. So I'm just so glad that we connected uh, via Twitter and that you're here Me to too. talk a little bit. Um, so what are, so what is it like? What is it like? So when you went to Argentina, were, were you on, did you already know about Milay? Yeah, I knew about him a little bit. What's funny is that I found out about him through uh, Reddit of all places. There's the, uh, the Reddit, anarcho-capitalism Reddit, uh, mm -hmm. subreddit and i remember somebody had posted uh i think first maybe it was a picture of him in like this anarcho-capitalist costume <laughs> where he's like wearing like the 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 golden black and he just looks silly but there was like this guy's you know like a popular um austrian economist in argentina so then i kind of started to look into him and then i started to see videos of him speaking about liberty and these concepts that are so important and thankfully, uh, YouTube translates things automatically, not perfectly, uh, into different languages. And I was really being able to understand what he was saying. And um, and it's funny because when I met my wife just before the pandemic, uh, one of the things that she had asked me was like, what do you know about Argentina? Because really outside of Argentina, especially in the United States, nobody knows anything about Argentina except for Messi and Maradona. Good, good, right. Messi, Maradona, good wine and good steak. That's right. That's right. Which are all true. The the wine and the steak thing is very true. And of course, the Messi and Maradona thing is very uh, stereotypical of us to pretty much, mm -hmm. that's the main thing. But I told her, I was like, I know about uh, Javier Millet. And she said, what? What? Is, how do you know about this guy? Because at that time, and this was, uh, what, early 2020, um, he was seen as kind of a clown. Um, he's because he's his hair. The, his nickname here is um, one of his nicknames here is uh, El Peluca because he had a like, crazier hair than he does now, like much crazier. And of course, he's very strong and very ferocious in how he debates. And um, and he was always I shouldn't say always, but very frequently featured on many TV programs as like a, as like a media economist, like his first appearance, right. I believe, was in 2015. So really wow. before 2015. He was um, working in universities as a professor. He was working as advisors at banks and different uh, uh, businesses. Um, and write, he was also a writer, he had written many articles. I think at that point he had written like six books. So in 2015, once he came onto the scene and brought this message and with the style in which he brought it, it kind of went into this realm of this guy's really different than other people. And the way in which he defends his principles uh, it turns some people off. Makes people like me laugh and say, "Keep going." Um, hey, more. It, it, yeah, exactly. Just I, I, it's entertaining and educating, and to right. to see the right people being attacked. The state, you know, he's not attacking the poor. He's not attacking any like individuals who are you know just struggling to survive. He's attacking the uh, la casta politica. He's, he's attacking parasitos the politicos, the political exactly. I mean, I mean, I listen to, I mean, and, and I think to me, part of the joy of listening to him is because I love the way Argentines talk. Their Spanish is, is so different from Caribbean Spanish. And they 
curse like they use like bad words and just every like it's nothing like you know whereas right. in certain situations you know in certain situations it's a bit um taboo like oh we're not going to talk like that and over there it's like oh man like we're talking like this everywhere we're expressing ourselves and so it's common so for me it's kind of like oh snap they're really like going at it but that's just how they talk over there so for so so on one level it's just listening to it it's like eating this delicious meal like it, it's very rich the language and listening to it but the concepts that he's sharing and the fact that he is so passionate and he has Did no hairs on me? his tongue i'm sorry i think i, think I lost i lost okay, you for I'm a back. second but i'm just talking about like how passionate he is and um and that's why i wanted to share that clip in the beginning because most folks who are watching this probably have never heard of him and but i just wanted to share a little bit of um, what he's saying. And, and I'm so happy I found that YouTube channel, uh, Malay in English. So you can watch him and it's subtitled in English. And the, the subtitles are actually are very decent. Like you really get the concept of what he's saying. But this is exactly like how he talks, um, not only like when he's speaking to large crowds, but even like when he's being interviewed, he gets really riled up. And I think that is something he's very real. And I think that is what um, a lot of people connect with in Argentina. I think so. And who, and who would you say is like the largest? Is there a particular demographic with which he's more popular? Oh, the youth, the youth for sure. Uh, in fact, oh, before wow. before we started talking tonight, there was a an article I was reading that came out yesterday that showed that there are likely voters between the ages of 16 and 29. So that's something you have to keep in mind too: is that you can be as young as 16 and vote. Um, and I think the Christina Kirchner brought this in when she was president. Uh, of course, you know, garner more votes from, you know, promising motorcycles and things like that. But for um, people between ages of 16 and 29, they they did a poll. And of course, like I said, I just saw this before we came on and he's beating Christina Kirchner. Uh, and the question was, um, who best represents you? Who do you feel best represents you? And 20% uh, said Javier Millet. And then the second place is 15% with Christina Kirchner, and then 9% with Horacio Larreta, and then fourth place, 8% with Patricia Burrich, and then it goes from there. But when you see that Javier, Javier Millet has 20%, and then Christina That's Kirchner, huge. who is considered like probably the most powerful person in the country as far as you know the last mm, decade and a half, uh, he's you would you tend to think like the really young and the people that want you know they don't really understand politics they want to and, go for the socialist which is kirchner right and her husband was the president what was her husband's name uh, nestor kirchner right so and nestor kirchner uh, what was his um when was he president that um, was in early 2000s or yeah i think i want to say let's see so in 2019 was when Macri lost the election so four years before that she was president two terms in a row and then before her it was her husband because i think he died in office i can't i can't oh, okay. remember specifically so it was like the early 2004 ish um okay so it was after the specifically but it was after the argentine dollar collapsed right yeah i believe so yeah yeah like, okay because that was like 2000 2001 okay but right, my so point is that better and yeah but my point in saying that is that, so the Kirshner now president, um, and, and this is one of the points that Malay makes is that, you know, you have essentially these people who see themselves as the monarchs of Argentina. These are people that they take turns being in power. 
And it is a brand of socialism that has been around in Argentina and popular in Argentina, but as destroying the economy and making people more poor and more unsafe. Um, so the fact that he's resonating with the youth is really incredible. And if he's able to get them actually to go out and vote, um, then I think he does have an incredible, he, he has a wonderful chance. Because one of the things that makes it difficult no matter where you live is getting, getting that, you know, where people are excited and translating that to where they actually go out to the polls. And then, of course, the other part is that the elections are fair. And that there's right. no, yeah. that there's no, you know, fuckery. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And of course, when it comes to elections, there's always some sort of fraud. Uh, and mm -hmm. here, that's one thing that's important, especially on the local level. Um, like here in Malvinas, Argentinas, we have, um, I believe they're called fiscales. And essentially, they're the people who go yes. to the vote, uh, the voting stations, and they, they certify the, the elections. Yeah, right. They make sure that the votes are counted properly. So yeah. if we can get our representation there, so you know we're not a bunch of Kirchnerista stuffing ballots and yeah. tearing up stuff. Because here it's very, it's very different how you vote. You know, like so you get like your boleta, you get your little ballot, and then it's a I physical you, paper. Right, it's a physical paper, and it can't have when you turn it in. It can't have like any kind of tear. It can't have like a water droplet. It has you know? to be perfect. Right, so they, you just think somebody spills a drink, and be like, "Oh, oops!" Well, there goes like ten thousand votes for this person. You know, so you have to kind of really oh, go wow. and really guard the these votes. And I might be exaggerating a little bit, but not too much. Right. Um, and so, um. Yeah, I, I was listening earlier to him talking and one of the things that he was explaining, because, you know, one of the, the shows that he was on, they were asking, like, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, no, we we have gotten, um, uh, I, I guess the equivalent here would be like a justice of the peace. It's like the one of the functions that they have is like the election certifiers. And I think he said something like they have like over 100,000. I don't know if I heard that number right, but I'm like, oh, my gosh, but again, it's for the whole country. Like, I don't, you know, I, that sounds about right. If you think about it, Argentina is a large country and there are so many districts and within each district, so many places that people could vote. So um, it's incredible the amount of effort to make sure, because that's, you know, one of the concerns to make sure that it's a fair election. Um, but um, his appeal is something I think that for someone who's not um, a leftist is almost to me, I think it's unheard of in Latin America, but I could be wrong. I, I think as I don't think there's been any figure that is not a left wing figure figure that is not you know promising motorcycles you know if you vote for them who's not promising you know utopia who's telling it like it is who's who's you know anti corruption um, that that has gotten this much um, that is this popular and the other thing that's interesting is clearly you know he's popular because the criticisms of him right so and it's kind of typical to some of the stuff you see here so people call him a they call him a nazi um you know they call him like he's uh, you know he's a crazy right-wing person yeah all the um, same all the same insults that the left or the progressives throw at the at the right are being thrown at him now and have been mm -hmm. for a long time and what what is the um what's the dynamic there you know with 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 this you know political movement i mean you know here in the states there there's a heavy emphasis on identity politics um it's entrenched in everything to the point where it's laughable at this point 
um, you know, all the major corporations and, you know, even like pharmaceutical commercials and, mm -hmm. and, you know, all the major politicians like vying to make sure like they're the most politically correct. And I know that like in many things in American culture, like that gets exported. So what, what is that looking like? And, and how is that presenting itself there? Like in the, in the political movements there? From my experience here in Argentina, the, the culture is very, I'd say it's kind of a more of a monoculture than a, like a multiculture. They, okay. they, when you look at the, the makeup of the people here, it's mostly people who have um, migrated or immigrated from Europe. So it's mostly Spanish and Italians um, who have like you meet the average Argentina. They're probably going to be a mix of Spanish and Italian. And depending on where you go in Argentina, you'll start to see Germans, you'll start to see Irish, you'll start to see French and, you know, the others. So there's not. Um, and maybe you remember the article that came out during the World Cup saying, why doesn't Argentina have any black players? You know, well, it's mostly because I mean, there are no um, you know, black players here. Right. I mean, it, and it's unfortunate what happened to those populations, you know, years ago. I mean, and, but that's the reality. That's why. And then the other thing, too, is after World War II, um, there was a lot of more recent immigration to South America, but in particular Argentina that needed that German. migration. Yeah, that, that right. That needed that migration of, of, of workers because they were an economy that was growing. So they were they were, you know, like the United States and, and not too many other places, they were open to receiving a lot of Europeans at that time. So it's a more recent um, migration, if you will, too, of Europeans. Right, yeah. And, and there is like, you know, a, a group or um, a number of people who do have like indigenous roots. But yeah. most people identify, in my experience, as having European heritage. So mm -hmm. the, the identity politics is a lot harder because there's no like one large population, uh, a part of the population that's so different from everybody else that they can exploit. Like you see in the United States, it's like, instead so of, that's what's it, so great about libertarianism yeah. is it, yeah, you, you don't have to worry about the, the racial stuff. If you don't want to steal from me, if you want to work together, if you want to do things voluntarily, I don't care what color you are. We right. can be friends and you, you can hate me. Just don't hurt me. Don't steal from me, you know. Right. But in the United States, it's so easy to pit one group against the other. Here, it's a lot more difficult. So you don't see things like um, identity politics creep in as much. But you do see that progressive cultural Marxist, you know, these hyper feminists and the right. The, um, people that like to glorify homosexuality you know it's fine if you're a homosexual but to glorify it and put it on an equal footing as home as heterosexuality uh we start to have problems and then this culture being largely catholic it's a lot harder to insert these little poisonous ideas because in the united states um i think the importance of religion has slipped away a lot, which is given away for people to want to believe in something else. So if you remove, right. uh, you know, this belief in going to church or in, in Jesus or what have you, and then you give them this other thing to make them feel like they're a part of something bigger and something greater, which is all, you know, a big, huge lie. Um, it's a lot easier here. It's a lot more difficult. So it's so because of the dynamic there, it is a very different culture. I mean, as in most Latin American countries, they're much more religious. 
um, the, the religious institutions and primarily the Catholic Church are much more embedded in every aspect of the culture. I mean, um, I, I just know that, you know, in Latin America, the the holiday, you know, the holy holidays of the Catholic Church, it's like those are like basically like federal holidays. And it's just yeah. kind of understood like, you know, you may not be the most religious person, but on those days, like people, it's just embedded in every aspect of the culture. Um, so I understand what you're saying in terms of that here. We don't even blink an eye anymore. We don't we don't think of it. Um, although the um, agenda certainly with the LGBTQ um, politicalization um, in the schools, I think um, is, is, you know, probably something that's like, you know, like way ahead of where it is in Argentina. But, you know, probably given enough time, like maybe the progressives there in Argentina, like they would want it to be the way it is happening here. Oh, right? without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. When you see like the, the Kirchnerists uh, or Kirchneristas, they mm -hmm. tend to be the ones that are more in favor of, um, you know, this, this overemphasis on um, this gender abuse, which, of course, is always going to be any violence that's committed toward a woman is going to get far more emphasis um, there's these groups of um, feminists that wear the, this bandana around their neck. It's green, so they like to separate themselves. I can't remember. It was like a couple of weeks ago. They had like a march in the street, and I think they were like topless and had things written across their chest. So that does exist here, and it's usually coming from the um, Frente de Todos types and even the Izquierda, Izquierda Frente, which is the um, pretty much Communist. the communist socialist right. yeah, party. Yeah. They're like open about it yeah. um but so you do see that here but it's i think it agitates people here there's not like this fear i guess to question it here like in the united states it's like you say you know um i'm just you know i'm i like traditional marriage i'm not a big fan of homeless homosexuals getting married you know and i'm, I'm not saying this is my position. I'm just saying, right, just even say it. it's like, oh my God, you bigot. How dare you? You should lose your job and you should, you know, have right. all of your accounts suspended, your bank accounts right. suspended. You know, you, they want to get so the, the spectrum of political correctness is different there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cancel okay. culture is a lot harder. It's not, hasn't taken root here. And that's why we need to cut it off at the root where it's there. They've planted the seeds. And that's yeah. where people like, um, Javier Millet have come in and really fought that for the past several years. And another guy I would suggest people look into is a guy named Augustin Laje. Uh, you mentioned him. L-A-J-E is his last name. Uh, he's an author. He's fantastic. Um, uh, you, you know Danon? Yeah. Uh, the other Argentinians. So these are like cultural warriors who are fighting that battle before it gets to the point where you know, it's maybe gone too far or it's past the point of no return. So one of our watchers, Daniel, who um, I love Daniel, he always watches my stuff. Um, he's asking if you can speak to the strength of Argentina's Libertarian Party and have others been able to ride um, Malay's coattails, if you will, to also run for office. And I think you are like actually helping with the campaign of some folks who are running as Libertarians. So if you could just talk about that a little bit, that'd be awesome. Yeah, as far as the strength of the Libertarian Party, um, if you look at the history of the Libertarian Party now, it's a little different there because it's it's like, you know, you have the GOP and you have the Democrats. Here you have these parties that are more like coalitions. So you have like this, this overarching uh, 
name or title, but under that you'll have people join together to vote for these candidates. So it started out essentially as Avanza Libertad under Jose Luis Espert. And then once um, Millet announced, I think it was in September of 2020, that he wanted to run uh, with his party, that's when they renamed the party to Avanza Libertad. And then by July 2021, the following year, Millet announced La, uh, La Libertad Avanza. Yeah, La Libertad Avanza. Right. And, and that's so basically like what we would consider the Libertarian Party. Right. So, but you have like these, a couple little, little subtle differences between the two. Um, but the, the, it's the, the third strongest party right now in the country and the, and the, uh, the popularity is growing as far as riding coattails into any particular positions around the country. Um, that hasn't happened yet because he won in 2021 the um, Diputado, the pretty, the pretty much a position like the House of Representatives. And not long after that, he announced for president. So it was like he shocked Argentina in 2021 when he when he was elected, because initially people were like, oh, God, these libertarians, you know, this guy is a clown. You know, he's only on the media just because people think he's funny. And then he wins a seat um, with uh, his running mate, I guess you could say. And they took two seats in the House of Representatives. And then I think they took five legislative positions also in the city of Buenos Aires. Uh, so that's what he represents. He represents Capital Federal. Now, outside of Capital Federal, because it's you know densely populated, and of course, it's like the New York City of Argentina, I guess. It's huge and, and like the cultural mecca of the country. And that's not to take away from other parts of the country that have contributed a lot culturally. But uh, Buenos Aires is just, you know, it kind of dictates the way things go. Now, with the presidential campaign, you're starting to see people, you know, Millet, and then their last name, 2023. So now we're starting to see people latch on to Millet and really try to run with his colors and his logo and his name in hopes that they can win seats in their areas. So here in Malvinas Argentinas, uh, that's essentially what we're doing. The guy that I'm working with now is running to be Intendente, which, uh, forgive me if I translate some things probably poorly, but if anybody listens who doesn't know Spanish, because uh, I don't know it very well, but it's essentially the um, the mayor of this uh, partido, this um, district or county or parish, if you're from Louisiana, and uh, his name's Fernando Schachter. Uh, it's a German last name. Very good guy, uh, very open to ideas. I think he's very, very sincere. He ran in uh, the last election as an expert supporter, who's the probably the second biggest name in Argentina as far as, you know, high profile libertarians. And uh, now he's running with uh, the trying to endorse Millet and with his colors and logo and so forth. And um, so working in Malvinas Argentinas, I'm trying to get the local libertarian elected and advising the campaign because my passion is the philosophy of liberty and libertarianism as trying to make sure that our foundations are good and that we're being honest and open about what we think that we're not like another brand of Peronismo. We're not like another Kishnerista group. We're not this like new 
anti-establishment. This is this is real. Like we we want to reduce the state, and we're willing to put forth plans and measures to have that done. And so uh, this is happening around the country, uh, not just in the province of Buenos Aires, but around the country over the last couple of weeks um, and months. Wherever Millet visits, he gets swarmed by people like he's a rock star. Thousands of people will come out. In fact, after his the closing of his primary campaign and uh, or the closing yeah, of the campaign after the primary, because I do think it was a little different here. In 2001, in September, he closed it in front of like 25,000 people. Like in 2021? 2021. Wow. That was before he even won. That was just after the closing of uh, the PASO, which is like the, their primary system here, uh, to the best that I understand it so far. And that was in front of 25,000 people. And like I said, just a couple of weeks ago, he did a tour going to uh, the city of Pinamar, Cariló, I think Villa Gesert as, as well. And the guy's being mobbed, you know, like he's, it's like shoulder room, elbow room only. Just you, you can, in the crowd of people, you can see his little, you know, and he's, he's kind of it's a short not, It's guy, not yeah. a wig. Right. But you can um, see his crazy the, hair. Like that's him right there. I could see him just barely. He describes himself as like Wolverine. Yeah, like, I've heard he's that. He's trying to look a little bit like Wolverine, like the, the character Wolverine from Marvel's X-Men. And when he said that, I was like, oh, that's perfect that he does. And I kind of like that, too. I like the idea of, like, identifying with that animal, too. Like, you know, the Wolverine is like a red dawn. Mm -hmm. yeah, vicious, <laughs> vicious. Yeah, it fights to the death. One, two, um, that, that, might be, that might be true. What's interesting about him, though, is um, his favorite Argentinian president, at least with, since the... Um, a democracy was implemented in 1986, I think it was, was right. uh, Carlos Menem, who mm -hmm. was essentially, uh, if I'm not mistaken, kind of a peronista, but he was somebody that was at least smart enough to turn the economy over to, um, or a point, I should say, uh, ministers who kind of knew what they were doing, who were more we free just, market. Let, let's take a second, though. So because most people aren't going to understand peronista, peronismo. So we're talking about this is a brand of politics, a, a style of politics in Argentina that's based on Juan Perón, who was the president. I mean, was he a dictator? I don't remember. He, he was the president of Argentina in, like the, in the 30s and 40s. There's pictures. His wife was Eva Perón, Evita. Like, that's his wife. That's, like, probably more people know about that. Um, but he was kind of chummy Thanks, with Madonna. Mussolini. Yeah, he was kind of chummy with Mussolini. I mean, there's photos of him. And so his brand of governance, um, it was certainly like pop populism, you know, that and his wife was kind of like the face of that. And so there was aspects of it that were socialist and aspects of it that were fascist um, in, in the terms of like the state controlled the unions and then only, you know, unions were able to do certain things, you know, so... It, it, it was very a uh, centralized control. Um, very much so. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I'm giving a very basic understanding from what I, you know, from what I've learned over the years of trying to understand Peronismo. And it seems to me that the, the you know, Juan Peron, you know, then he lost power, and then I think when his, there was like a military dictatorship, I think then he was again the president for a very short time, and then there was a dictatorship up until through the 70s, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is, you know, if people are familiar with Argentine history where like a lot of uh, people were disappeared and 
um, you know, this was happening throughout Latin America. There's a lot of political violence. Um, so then kind of in the 80s, I think, is where, like you were saying, um, the military dictatorship ended and then you had, you know, like a return to democracy. Um, so then that, that first president was Menem? No, the first president was oh. Alfonsin. Oh, Alfonsin. And, uh, you know, he was supposed to be this guy that ushers in democracy. Finally, we've, we've got our power back and we this we are the government now you know stupidity well and then he brings in hyperinflation you know and um menem i think came in right after him um i think it was the next presidency it may have been the the one after that but i think he was the next president after alfonsine and appointed um like the minister of uh the economy, which I think his last name was Covalo or Covajo, because here the double L, L has yeah. the J sound. Yeah. But he was essentially a, a free market guy. So their plan during Menem's um, reign, uh, during his administration, was to privatize as much as possible, to free up the, 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 the labor force, the competition, the just try to stay out of meddling in economic affairs as much as possible. And Argentina really started to see a difference. In fact, at one point, I think it was like in the early 90s, it may have been like around 91, 92, I might be wrong on the year, but one peso was equal to one dollar. And wow. that was during a time when, you know, if you hear older people here talk about, you know, what it was like to have money that actually had value. Had value. Compared, yeah. compared to now where one peso is worth... Um, I'm sorry, $1 is worth like something like 385 pesos. And there's several different uh, types of dollars here because the peso is so worthless. So they have the official dollar that the government says that the dollar is worth. And there's the blue dollar that essentially is what the market says the dollar is worth. And then now they have like the Malbec, which is a type of wine here, very popular. I was going to say the wine. The, yeah, a Malbec <laughs> dollar. I mean, it's it's nuts. I, I so, mean, currency based on wine is probably not a bad idea at this point. You know, inflation <laughs> everywhere. We're going to have right. like the core, the Coors Light dollar. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, I'm waiting for like the Bife de Chorizo dollar and, you know, right. the uh, Dulce de Leche dollar. You know, it's just only a matter of time before they get around to it. How is um, cryptocurrency in Argentina? Is that? I mean, it exists, but it's so hard. Um, it's you have people like Millet or people who are very successful who are able to obtain these alternate types of currencies. For the average person here, they don't understand it. I mean, even in the United States, most I would say I, the, the I, average I, person I doesn't to learn about it. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really understand either the concept or what it is. Like, what is a Bitcoin, you know? Yeah. Here, it's it's like that, but on a larger scale, because the average person, like, they just want something to use to be able to buy food for their family. You know, right. it really doesn't matter what it is. It's gotten to the point where it doesn't have to have our flag. It doesn't have to say Argentina. I just need something that has value. And here, which is very mm -hmm. interesting, as opposed to the United States, where we invest in Bitcoin and alternative currencies and things like, uh, you know, gold and silver. Um, here, people in invest in dollars. Like people go when they, they let's say they have 100,000 pesos extra. Hey, let's go buy dollars because the dollar, as Millet has said, here, the dollar has no ceiling, but the peso has no floor. 
So oh. it's interesting to live in a place in which they don't really talk about um, stuff like Bitcoin and buying gold and silver, precious metals, and it's dollars. But it does exist. They do have apps you can buy or download that allow you yeah. to trade or buy Bitcoin. So it's 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 not legal tender, but you you can access it. But you have to be somebody that can afford that sort of investment. And so in Argentina, um, you know, here we have so many cashless apps that we use to purchase things. Um, so it's, and you know, you have your, your credit card or your debit card. It's just really easy never to have cash. Um, is it on that level in Argentina or is, is it still much more cash reliant, cash reliant economy? Uh, as, as far as like the advancement of technology in order to purchase things. Like are a lot of people I, using like phone, you know, their apps and their phones, like, or, or debit and cards like that. Yeah, the, the one thing you have to give Argentina credit for is that they're very resilient. And I think this is one reason why Millet is going through this meteoric rise is that the Argentinian people have known for a long time that the government sucks. And we just got to do what we have to do to get through our daily lives because they're going to rob us. They're going to steal from us. And we're just going to do what we got to do to make ends meet. And so in that process, you have seen a lot of innovations. There's lots of places in uh, Cava and uh, the Ciudad Autónoma de Buenos Aires, like Capital Federal, that are very like state of the art, very like as nice as anything you'd see in New York City. And so when it comes to ways to purchase things here, there are many different kind of apps where you just scan a QR code with a matter of like literally three or four seconds, you've paid for something. One of the big companies here is Mercado Libre which is like the Amazon of South America. Um, and it's a like one of the richest companies in the world, if I'm not mistaken. But they have something called Mercado Pago, which is um, an app that you can download. And I mean, you can pay bills, you can pay, go to the store when you buy your groceries or at a restaurant, they just show you the QR code, you scan it. So when there is this advancement of technology and this capability if the if the Argentinian if the if the Argentinian people were unleashed, unshackled by the state, Argentina would turn into a a world power. I have no doubt about it. Like right. there, there's no doubt in my mind because like happened I said, the before. people exactly. When when was it like in the 1830s or something like that? I you know I mean just from watching Mila, he's he said you know when they implemented here the ideas of liberalism. Um, Argentina was competing with Great Britain in the United States, um, you know, in the, I guess, like the late 1800s, the mid 1800s or something like that. Like it became a world power um, because their economy was was unleashed, um, you know, was they were practicing free market um, and they were an incredible power. And, you know, like other countries in, in Latin America, Argentina has an incredible amount of natural resources and mm -hmm. um and 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 things like that that you know so it's not just the 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 labor power and ingenuity of the people but the actual resources that the country has access to oh for sure i mean it, they've they've got so so much potential there's so much potential here if they could just if we can just get rid of so many levels of the state you know i'm not asking for an anarcho-capitalist utopia which doesn't exist anyway overnight but the whole point is let's just continue to remove and limit the state as much as possible to let the business person, the, the local kiosquero, 
just to yeah. be able to 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 sell to his 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 uh, clients, his his customers, and not have to pay all of these taxes and all have to the process that my wife and I have had to go through to try to start uh, our project here and at the local um, municipal municipality municipalidad I get the, mm -hmm. sometimes I get the Spanish kind of mixed up with the English is the the it's like a four or five story building gigantic it's like a this palace it's really really nice and there's there's offices if you got to go to start here then you have to go there and then they give you a piece of paper and then you have to go like the fourth floor get that paper and the then you have to go this paper yeah the bureaucracy in this one building of going to different rooms and there's different taxes and different paper it the the barrier to entry is ridiculous and you know if we can just get to a point where we can get people to understand that like look it's the the libertarian party isn't here to promise you stuff the that's not what liberty is about the liberty liberty is about removing the barriers that the state puts in front of you and this is a simple i'm talking about you know a more simplified economic way to remove those barriers that the state puts in place and allow you to provide for the family in the way that you want to because because it's extremely difficult here it's very difficult here to start a business there's there's just so much bureaucracy so the state is so bloated it's 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 ridiculous and that's why i'm fighting in the campaign here the libertarian campaign here because i, I want to improve this area and at the same time work to get Millet elected get his name out there you know whether it means making graphics and posting on social media doing whatever we can to get people to realize that the state is robbing you the state is is the barrier the state is the enemy so with those barriers and um I imagine the black market must be pretty potent. Like people just be, must be like, I can't go through this. I'm just going to have a cart and sell stuff. Or, I mean, I don't know. And, and I don't know like how much of a police state it is that makes it, you know, that, that punishes people for that. But what is that like? Is there more of just kind of like this, this, I mean, I hate to call it a black market, but you know what I'm talking like, where people just bypass that yeah. bureaucracy and they just risk it. Right. Do you see a lot of that, or is kind of like a, a, an alternate market? Yeah, yeah, you do see you do see aspects of that. I mean, like you you'll see guys on the side of the road in some areas, and they're selling like you know fake Ray Bans and fake Rolexes and that sort of thing. Um, which is, what's interesting is a lot of them tend to be from Nigeria. You know, oh wow! So it's yeah. So you see so like it's like 125th these, Street, like that's what 125th Street in New York City looks like. Oh really? Yeah, they, it's a lot bring of it here too. recent, more recent um, immigrants from uh, West Africa. So there's a lot of like Senegalese and Ghanaian and Nigerian. And they sell like jewelry and purses and all types of cool stuff. Yeah, here too. You'll They might not be real Nikes, but they look like real Nikes. They're, you know, it would be a lot cheaper. So right. there, there is like this alternative economy that, and of course there is a black market, the, uh, the drug trafficking here. There's people in the government, in the national government, that it's kind of like an open secret. We know, Masa, that you built your your regime or, or started to build your regime in Tigre because you're a narco. You, wow. we, the, um, Santa Fe, which is the provincia right above Buenos Aires, uh, is, has a bad, bad uh, drug trafficking um, problem. I mean, there's... In fact, uh, Messi, um, the soccer player, was threatened 
by some uh, narcos because he took a picture with Mauricio Macri, who was the you know right wing conservative president before Alberto Fernandez, the president now. And the narcos so, didn't like that. Right, exactly. Uh, so it's there's there's definitely a black market. There's an alternative market um, because they have to exist because the state brings in the black market. Because essentially, the black market is just the black market is just an unregulated market. Yeah. Um, so, but you, I guess it depends on where you are and um, whether or not that particular aspect of the economy or the market is as uh, strong as as influential right let me ask you about um so one of the things and and i think you know to his um credit that malay has done is that he's been very clear in outlining his plan to one get argentina out of the hyperinflation i mean inflation is bad in the states but it is really bad in argentina and, um, you know, he's an economist and he was explaining the conditions that they're in right now are actually worse than when the Argentine dollar um, collapsed in uh, early 2000s. Um, so he has a plan and um, his plan is called El Plan Moto Sierras. Did I say that correct? Which yeah. means the chainsaw plan because, well, explain it to us why he came up with that name. And if you can talk a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, in fact, I have in my notes because it's it's a lot to remember. Uh, but yeah, I have it, here uh, kind of a summary done by El Cronista, which is um, a newspaper, and then straight from his website, he's got a three generation plan, right. uh, the chainsaw plan or El Plan Motosierra, he, that he wants to take to the um, the government. And of course, you know, he uses these these. I feel like in the United States, if somebody were to, to use that term in the political campaign, they'd be like, "Oh my God, he's so violent!" Oh, he's so violent. You know. Yeah, I can't help but it. But it's, it's, so it's really brilliant. And there's pictures and there's dolls that they've made of him. Oh, I know. Holding, I can't. holding a chainsaw. Like, it's pretty cool. But what, it's why hilarious. He, I muted myself. Why the name? Talk about the name first. And then, or I guess the imagery. Because you explained it to me when we spoke of, like, why he chose that. And then talk a little bit about it. But while you do that, I'm going to look for the little doll of him with the chainsaw. Okay. Well, I think it's kind of obvious why I picked the term. I mean, in the United States, you have to be careful about how you word certain things. I, I want to say it was um, maybe it was during one of Ron Paul's debates. Somebody's like, he wants to take a hatchet to this or this and this, you know, as if like that's a bad thing. Oh, we don't want to take a hatchet to to uh, Medicare or Medicaid. You know, we have to preserve it, you know, whereas you have Millet coming in. He's like, we're, we're going to take a chainsaw through public spending. And we're going to force the politicians to have to go out like honest people and find jobs in the free market. So he's wanting to cut down <clears throat> on uh, government spending and the bloat of government. Uh, he's got a three. The plan is essentially three generations. So essentially the first generation reform is the elimination of unproductive state spending and corruption. He says corruption is not only reprehensible in moral terms, but also costs up to 5% of GDP. Therefore, it is urgent to dismantle the mechanisms that make it possible. In addition, it is necessary to simplify public administration procedures, make it more transparent, eliminate inefficient spending, implementing a new transparent public accounting system. Less tax pressure is less public spending, which implies greater economic growth, 
less unproductive, uh, unproductive state spending, is less money uh, monetary issue, and this also means less inflation. Uh, part two of that is an incentive for the generation of genuine and quality employment and the reduction of taxes that punish the worker. Part three of that is opening uh, to trade, to grow and reduce poverty. Uh, Pro-free trade agreements with all regions or all countries that wish to uh, access the economy of, in Argentina. He's not one of these protectionists. Um, part four is security and justice, which is a big thing here. A lot of people are, are crime is is a, an issue here. In fact, just as a side note, when I moved here, one of the thing I know one of the things I noticed that even in nice neighborhoods, you have houses that have bars like in the windows. Yeah. Like when I was yeah. growing up, you only saw that in like really rough areas, you know, <laughs> like, like I was a kid. I never lived in a neighborhood that had bars on the windows, but here it's like normal. Right. So that, that's another part of this first generation plan. Number five, first generation is the financial system. He wants to reform the financial system that allows progress towards free banking and free choice of currency after eliminating the central bank. Right. I was going to say one of his main things is they he they're eliminating the central bank of Argentina. And part of that is allowing other currencies um, to be used in the country. Yeah. And I'm sure he would say, yeah, let the let the peso compete. But, you know, it won't be able to, especially to quit printing it and, you know, forcing people to use it. Mm -hmm. um, so he's got different stages that in that generation that he wants to go through. Um he wants the first stage just to go from a fractional reserve system to the, the Simons banking system. Simons was an economist from the Chicago School. If people want to get more into that, they can Google um, Henry Simons and um, why he's interested in that sort of. Um, well, I guess I could talk about it a little bit. It's to eliminate all forms of monopolistic market power. Uh, federal incorporation law could be used to limit corporation size and where technology required giant firms for reasons of low cost production, the federal government should own and operate them. Promote economic stability by reform of the monetary system. Da, 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 I'm kind of repeating myself. Uh, mm -hmm. I think his version of the Simon system would be probably even less status than Simon's because, you know, right. Chicago school is a little more status than the Austrian school. Mm -hmm. uh, the second stage would be free banking. Third stage currency competition, fourth stage liquidation of assets and liabilities. So now you, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go into the second generation and the third, and then we can we can if there's anything. Mm -hmm. uh, the second generation is a little briefer. Number one is the reform of the pension system. Oh, go ahead. Hold on. I'm sorry. No, it's I'm gonna a say, lot. It's a lot. When you're when you when you're talking about first generation, like he's literally saying that this is a plan that is going to take three generations like so the first generation meaning like what he wants to put into place like the next 10 15 years this those first generation of plans and then the second generation is like this next generation because his he's saying the goal is like by the third generation like argentina will be a world power but it's going to take three generations to undo all the damage that socialism has done oh, to the yeah. country. Well, and it, it won't do all of it, but it'll do a lot of it. I think he said um, for him, like after the third generation should be around like in 35 years. Right. Which to think about that and, and it, it just sounds like, oh my God, that's so far away. But when you think about like the Chinese have like what a 300 year plan or something like this, you know, <laughs> people that think so long term. That's but 30 what years ago was, you know, I mean, it's 2023. You know, t 2000, 
it, it doesn't seem that long ago. Right. But you, so like 30 years ago is like the 90s, which is like a blink of an eye for some of us. So if you really do think about it that way, it's like, wow, in 30 years, that's a lot like, you know, to really kind of unleash the potential um, of the well, country. People are, people are so used to these quick, you know, the government right. institutes uh, here, you get free food stamps or here's your um, your COVID. Uh, what is it? Uh, supplemental supplemental pay, you know, that just, oh, hey, they announced did this they a couple that? months ago. We have it. They did that in Argentina as well. Um. I don't think there was a oh, okay. like a, um, a stimulus, I guess you could say. There was just like right. a horrible, horrible, harsh lockdown that was very draconian. Uh, was absolutely ridiculous. But I'm I can't recall. There might have been, but I can't recall if okay. there was like a. They and they. Had, was... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that the um, it's a little more difficult, I guess, to implement these sort of things during a pandemic than in the United States where, you know, the Federal Reserve, everybody's showing up to work who are essential workers, right. you know, and so they can just pass through whatever they want. Whereas here, it's like, you know, people are like, hey, the politicians are like, we can take vacations while telling everybody else what to do. They're not really concerned about helping anybody or even providing the allure of helping anyone. Um but and I think one line. of the things there is that, um, yeah, I mean, we had our, we had plenty of politicians here, you know, like uh, Governor Newsom of California was like everyone, you know, California is super locked down Real and, and extremely strict. And then he's like having a dinner party in this like very fancy restaurant with his friends. Um, but I think, and we do have politicians here who are, you know, becoming incredibly wealthy um, and they live very well. I think the stark difference in other countries and in some countries like um, Argentina and, and, and other countries like that is that the way that they live, the way that politicians live is in such stark contrast um, to, to, to the people in Argentina. I mean, they live like monarchy level mm -hmm. wealth. It's really incredible. And I think, um, and they feel entitled to it, right? Because they have this idea like that they are well, the, the oligarch. chosen. Yeah. Yeah. The, they're exactly the, the they're, they're the elites, you know, kind of like the the WEF, you know, all the people that show up, like the, the car schwabs of the world who think that right. we're all ants that they can just step on mm -hmm. and tell us what to eat and how to be happy while they get to have all the luxuries of the world through all of these state interventions. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's it's like they here as well. I mean, you look at Christina Kirchner, she's like a multi, multi, multi millionaire because of all the money she's stolen from the people here from the, mm -hmm. the who knows, she's probably been involved in the, the um, drug trafficking. And sure. when you look at how she rose, her and her husband kind of rose to um, fame and fortune. I mean, it was just the road paved with all kind of corruption. And right. You know, of course, and there's parts of Argentina where you go and you're like, man, this looks like third world country. And then you go yeah. to some parts, and you're like, this is like a nice middle class place. And then there's some places you probably can't even get into. I mean, not that I've been it's to a, any like, a, politicians' neighborhoods. Right, right. It's completely dated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people here, it, you're looked at strange here too if you're somebody who's like pro uh, armament. Like if you if you believe that somebody should have the right to own a gun, oh, like a lot of people think it's very strange. That. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and for me, coming from Louisiana, being from the South, being raised, my father having guns. I had one before right. I came here. 
it's just it's normal you know not only is it normal but it's like necessary like to sure. me to not own a weapon you know at that least something to not own a gun is so strange it, right in fact i was talking to somebody um a couple of months ago who used to be in the military here and i asked my and i need to actually look into it um i have a, a friend who's a lawyer i've been meaning to ask him um my wife can own a gun because she's born she was born in argentina According to him, I'm not allowed to ever have a gun because I was never born in Argentina, which to me wow. is like such a violation of human human rights. Right. Like I, sh I have the right to defend myself. It, who cares where I, I was born? And mm -hmm. uh, I should be able to match the power of the person trying to to attack Hurt, me. Yeah. You know, right? So it's it's that was very disheartening to hear. Like I said, I need to look more into it. Hopefully, if that is the case, uh, Milay will look look into changing that. I'm not sure if that's totally true uh, hopefully i'll have my citizenship by the time the vote rolls around and we'll vote for Millet and we'll see what happens through that. but Millet um, is very pro pro um well gun. like so in this photo right it, it's a doll like you know it's it's a joke right and it's like el, el plan motosierra and he has motosierra is a is a chainsaw and it's interesting because he has the gadsden flag and mm -hmm. The Gadsden flag in Argentina, a lot of libertarians fly the Gadsden flag because they associate it with, you know, with liberty and the American Revolution. And, and it's weird because I even saw in some of the media in Argentina, they're like, why does Millet and why do, you know, the, the libertarians have a Confederate flag, <laughs> um, you know, in Spanish? Like they don't understand, you know, like a lot of people here as well, right? They don't really understand the Gadsden flag is not a racist flag. It's it's specific to the to the American Revolution. It's it's very, very much about you know the spirit of liberty and don't tread on me, meaning like against tyranny, right? And so it's an anti-tyranny flag. Yes. But Malay loves that flag. Yeah, and Malay loves that flag. Like there's so many places where he speaks and like he's holding it or someone's holding it or people have it. So. I just think it's cute that in the doll that they made of him, like in the motosierra, like he actually has the Gadsden flag on it. Um, right. And it, says, that and it says, don't tread on me in English. You know, it, like it, <laughs> when the people yeah, have the flags, it. it's all. They don't translate it. No, they're like, they know exactly what it means. They don't, they don't have to have it translated. They know, right. they know what it means. Um, no, um, sure. I wanted to, it's, I wanted to ask you also, um, because you mentioned Ron Paul and, and, you know, I'm kind of titling this like Argentina's Ron Paul moment, because I just think that there's a lot of similarities. Can you talk a little bit about like some of the similarities that you experienced, like of that Ron Paul revolution and what you're observing um, has someone who experienced that and is now in Argentina looking at this? Um, man, it's, um, it's really something to experience because like when Ron Paul came along, of course, when I say that Ron Paul was there for a long time, warning everybody for years and years, but he really didn't come into like the national or international spotlight until 2008, 2008 presidential campaign. I didn't know who he was before then. In fact, at that time I was a, a conservative Republican, you know, raised in the deep South. Um, my first vote, unfortunately it was for George Bush in 2004. Never again. I voted for a, a Republican after that. Um, but I was like 20 years old too, you know, so I was kind of caught up in the whole anti-democrat, anti-liberal thing, rather than really thinking about the aspects of, of war and, and, and what that does. And so when you, when you look at how 
Ron Paul came into the picture and introduced these ideas of liberty to so many of us who, whether we were from the left or the right, we knew something was wrong with the way that the, that the government or the state was always taught to us or explained to us. Maybe we didn't even really understand how detrimental the Federal Reserve was and what central banking is, or really just centralization in general. Right. And so there's these, these ideas that Ron Paul really just introduced <clears throat> that just, I don't know, it was like, they were like seeds and they yeah. just like, they took root and they just flourished. And then especially by 2012, uh, he was, I mean, chugging along pretty good. He had his a really good following. And I think um, the Romney campaign submarined his campaign, uh, did him pretty dirty in stealing the, uh, the Republican nomination. Uh, which I guess is debatable. Well, that's kind of what I think is what happened to him. But it, right. but like Ron Paul, you have Millet kind of doing the same thing here. And I say kind of, I think it's basically the same thing. He's coming along and he's been in the media for a long time as this kind of like funny economist who's very interesting to watch with interesting ideas. But these ideas that he's planting with these seeds uh, these ideas that he's planting are really starting to take root, especially among the youth. Uh, there's a guy, um, a young guy, I think he's like 18 or 19, maybe 20 years old, and uh, a part of the campaign here in Malvinas, Argentinas. And he loves economics. Like he wants to study economics. Ooh. Uh, like his favorite economist, uh, at least official economist, was the economist under Minim. He loves the chainsaw plan. He loves, like, the what Millet is going to do, um, he, he's just he's fascinated by it, and so you're seeing a lot of youth, which during the Ron Paul campaign, a large part of Ron Paul's rise was coming from the universities and the young guys who were just you know they weren't thinking like the boomers, you know. Um, it's it's very similar to here, it's similar to that here where Millet has been able to introduce ideas. Over a period of time, much shorter period of time than Ron Paul, but sure. has exploded onto the scene and saying things that people are probably contemplating for many of them for the first time ever. Like to, yeah, I want to, I want to burn down the central bank. Now, he doesn't want to literally burn it down, but to say that people are like, oh, what the heck? You know, don't don't we need the central bank? Right, so they're not. They don't understand the intricacy of like what is the actual impact of this. And then you have someone who is you know, an expert in that field that's saying like, no, we don't need that. In fact, it's hurting us and it's, it's allowing the politicians to be corrupt. It's allowing them to live off of you, to be parasites. Like we don't need, we don't, what we think we need, like we really don't, like they've convinced us. And I think really, um, even though like he's, he's an incredible economist and he talks a lot about economics, I think it's the, the, the cultural question that he also pushes a, a lot. And I think that's the other thing that um, uh, that has made him very popular is, you know, the, the ideas of pushing back against these, you know, socialist ideas and um, the cultural um, things that they're trying to push as well as a result of that, right? Um, so, you know, traditionally like socialism, like wanted to work on 
um, wanted to focus on the workers versus the owners. And now it's just like, well, like there's all these other oppressed groups and we want, you know, people mm -hmm. here to understand, like you can be part of this oppressed group or you're probably right. part of this. Hit oppressed this one group. versus and, that one. It's like, and, this, and that's the, part of like what you see with like what Danan does with exposing like the, you know, like um, the extreme feminists and, and the gender ideology and uh, that, that gets pushed and, and all of these types of questions that, that are coming about. And I think, um, and I think also like right now with Millet, you know, he has the benefit of social media being like at this level where a lot of people have social media, like even in Argentina, right? It's just, you know, mo a lot of people have a cell phone. A lot of people have access to, you know, to these types of apps. So um, to me, it's almost, you know, this, this interesting continuation of someone somewhere that has these same ideas, but he's able to really um, put their finger on the pulse of, of well, what so many people are, are yearning to understand, like what's wrong, like what's happening around them. I think one of the things too, that he's wanting, well, I don't think, I know, I think if you listen to what he says, you can, you can get the idea. One of the things that he's wanting to change about the culture here is that the state is the enemy. Like the politicians are parasites. We don't have to rely on them anymore. We don't have to keep thinking that, Oh, that's our guy because he's somebody who said, look, Give me at least four years, and if you don't like me, I'll go, but I'll go for eight so you can win if he wins two terms. After I set into motion what I need to set in motion, I'm out of the government. I'm not a politician. I'm not coming here to make sure I stay in power, to make sure I keep winning elections. I'm coming here to implement a plan that'll work and then be here as long as I'm allowed, and then I'm out, you know? And... Another thing that's interesting about him too is that he um, he gives away his his government paycheck every month right. since he's that. been since he's been uh, diputado. So his first paycheck, if I'm not mistaken, from the government that gives away and like this random raffle. You go to his website, you put in your email address and I think your national ID number, and they randomly select somebody. I believe really? the first. Mm -hmm, yeah. So anybody in Argentina who's a, a citizen can go in. And what are, are you saying? Are really because there's a national ID number? Because there is like no, really, numbers. like he's 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 making like a lottery for like his monthly salary. Yeah, anybody. You can be a Kirchnerista. You can be. It's you're, if you're an Argentinian and you've been right. stolen from, if you've been robbed from, it, he gives just it. like the rest of them. Yeah, go to the website, put in your information. We do a we do a, a random with a raffle or whatever you can call yeah, it, yeah. some selection. And that person will get his pay income for that month. And he'll wow. show a screenshot of the, the national bank with the money. And then the person, right. the transfer is successful. And then the picture of he's got zero in his bank account. Wow. And so the first time he did it, he had like, I think he was getting like 205,000 pesos a month. So how much is that? 205,000. At that time, it was... Well, it's kind of hard to calculate right now because, like I said earlier, one dollar uh -huh. is equal to three hundred and eighty-five pesos. So the first time he did it, maybe this will kind of put it in a little bit more perspective. The first time he did it, it was like around two hundred thousand pesos that he gave away. Just the other day, like two or three days ago, he did it again, and it was like seven hundred thousand pesos. Wow! But that's like six around six hundred dollars or something like that. That's. A I mean, it's not maybe that much money for him. I'm, I'm well, I originally, yeah. See, yeah. for example, let's see. But for someone in Argentina, that's just like that's a good chunk of change. 
Yeah. So it's like uh, essentially like 700,000 pesos comes out to about what? Like $2,000, which here is a lot. Like that's if, a if lot you get paid, money, yeah. if you get paid 700,000 pesos a month in Argentina to do nothing, especially because you're a politician, you're a political parasite who wouldn't have right. this without being stolen from all the rest of us. Right. While the, the next guy's like getting like 20,000, 30,000 a month, you know, and these politicians are getting 700,000 a month. And then, like I said, the first time he did it, I think it was at the end of 2021 after he won his um, position, mm-hmm. it was 200,000. Now, not even two years later, it's 700,000. So the politicians, they keep getting these pay raises in order to counteract oh. the inflation. So it's gone up 500,000 pesos in less than two years for the politicians. So $200,000 is 989. It's almost a thousand bucks. So, so yeah, well, they're it was, getting it was paid more then because right, right, the, the, yeah. and the inflation here too. That's it. Like, wow, that's very generous of him. But yeah, I remember hearing him say like he wants to work at honorum, meaning that um, you know that he's not taking money from the Argentine people. No, he's given he's given it back to him. Like in the wow. video before, when he was explaining, he's like, if I if I hold office, I'm not going to take I'm not going to take a pocket the money and that's why he started this thing where you go on you put your information randomly selects an argentinian citizen and gives them that money and i think in 2022 the official numbers were uh, inflation was 95 percent now in the united states we gripe about like six or seven percent i think what is it right now like around six or seven percent under biden inflation like it's pretty bad like six or seven percent is really bad but I then think you think of 95%, you know, imagine going to Walmart and buying a shirt for $10. And then a year later, that same exact shirt is almost 20 bucks. You know, same quality, same everything, but it's almost double in price. And then there's some stuff here that's like doubling. So, I mean, I feel like in some, eggs in some like things, yeah, in some things, the, the inflation is much higher than any official number. Oh, for sure. No, than what they're telling us. I mean, in practice, it's it's some things are double. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't doubt uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the official so, the official numbers are never quite uh, the most accurate. Then, then what you're living, right, in carne propia, as they say, like that hmm. you're actually living, like and experiencing yourself, like it's like, yeah, definitely things in the last couple of years and in, in in a lot of areas are. Um, you know, like 50% more or, or a hundred percent more. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, this has been great. Like we've been talking for over an hour and like we can go on and on about Mile, but thank you for joining me. I just, I wanted to share what's happening. So, um, obviously like people can follow Jorge Mile on Twitter and, you know, you can find him. Um, if people wanted to connect with you, to have discussions with you, like what's a good way to get in touch with you? They can follow me on Twitter, um, arroba, or the at symbol, Joram yeah. Rubik. Um, I'm also Radical Ancap on Instagram. I have an Instagram, Joram Rubik, but I don't really use it too much. Um, mm-hmm. But also on Instagram, I run Espacio Libertad Argentina. So those are three um, main ones that I run that they can follow me on. And you can email me to joram.rubik at gmail.com. 
And uh, Espacio, hold on. Espacio Libertad Argentina is in Instagram. Yes. I have it on Twitter too, but it's, I'm still trying to figure the social media thing out. Like when right. it comes to images and things, it seems like Instagram's the way to go when it comes to statements and things like that. Twitter. I know the, I have an Instagram account, but I'm not like on it a lot because it is, it's different. Um, I was a Facebook person for a really long time and I'm st still have that, but I'm just not on it as much. I just enjoy Twitter more. It's just different. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's, I mean, you could, it, it's the, the direct, you could just directly tweet at someone or, ha you know, have a communication like on someone's tweet. Like that's right. like Michael Malice, you know, it's like, oh my God. Right. Um, in, in Millet, such as, you know, like, yeah. Like, like I, I, I had like a wonderful week because Thomas Massey like liked one of my yeah. tweets or something. Something right. that I tagged him in. I was like, oh my God, Thomas yeah. Massey liked my tweet. Right. No, that's how it was when uh, Mila retweeted one of my tweets after we went to right. a rally. I think that's Bordeaux. where I found you. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Like, Millet or the guy who runs his uh, social media account retweeted me. I got a lot more followers, a lot more exposure. You messaged yeah. me. And then I posted something about the little motosierra, a little figure yeah. saying, Millet, you need to sell these on your website. And then he retweeted yeah. that. And then I got, you know, more, more attention from that. But uh, I have fa Facebook too, but I, I, I can't stand Facebook. I can't like, I probably should utilize it, but I just hate Facebook so much. It's just a completely different Facebook is like, well, I, I can, I feel like I'm connecting more with, um, at this point, people I, I actually know, you know, definitely kind of like more local and it's, it's good for like certain local group things. So I think in that sense, it's good. But like for when you want like a wider audience, I feel like, or you want just a different type of interaction, um, I, I'm just kind of finding Twitter, but. Awesome. But yeah, Joram Rubik on Twitter, like that's the main thing you can find him at that. But thank you again so much. Um, this was a great conversation. Like I said, I think you could talk for hours about what's happening there. And so, so I appreciate that you came on here to, for me to, at least to introduce folks to, um, to what's going on, because I think, you know, Jorge Mile is one of, you know, several, you know, big prominent figures in Latin America that are promoting libertarianism. I mean, there's him, there's Gloria Alvarez um, from Guatemala, there's Axel Kaiser in um, Chile. And actually uh, one of our, um, Daniel who watches the show said, um, he believes that Axel Kaiser actually also want to see in Chile, which I think that's incredible. Oh, good. Um, but you know, there's several who are really intelligent, that they're, they're popular, they're getting out there, they're getting the message out there. And I think it's um, it's almost like a shock to the system in Latin America where there's either like, you know, really hard kind of left, like a hard, like classical Marxist, you know, socialist and trade unionist parties versus, you know, these, um, you know, kind of more like right, you know, right wing, um, but not necessarily like free market. You know, mm -hmm. so there's always been like this weird mix in Latin America where it's like one or the other. And I feel right. like now in Latin America, what's happening is um, finally there's people who are embracing libertarianism and, you know, they're understanding the free market better. And we have like people who are have more sound economics and who are, you know, I mean, they talk about freedmen and they, they're quoting Hayek and my nieces and um so it's great. And I just love it because I, I love hearing these concepts in Spanish and, and, you know, it's just, it's like a whole other um, 
world to, to, and to, to understand it and see it applied to the, to the reality there. Um, Absolutely. So I, I thank you. I look forward to actually talking with your wife because your wife's also great to speak with and I want to have mm -hmm. her on my show as well. <laughs> oh yeah. That'd be fantastic. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. This has been a blast. Um, hope we get to do it again. Uh, maybe we can do a part yeah. two uh, before like or after the election. When is, when is the election exactly? I think it's, I think the, the day, the official day is October 22nd. So we're okay. only a few months away. So that's so why have, some time. we've got a lot of work to do on locally I, and nationally. We've got a lot of work yeah. to do. I mean, whether he wins the election or not, I, I want to find a way to get Millet to the United States. I want him to be a speaker at the next Libertarian Party National Convention. I think that would be awesome. And we can have like a U.S. tour for Javier Millet. I, I I'm, I'm going to do my best to plant the seeds with the people I know here to get him yeah. into the United States. Same here. Same here. Let's work on it. All right, Durham, just hang on there. But um, it's great to talk with you. Hold on. They said all of these things that I'm going to be used and abused and all these things. First of all, I'm armed, so nobody's fucking abusing anything on this. They know that we have the power to make them stop. So 700,000 people in a country of 330 million is enough to plunge us into some sort of collective psychosis? This is not a system that's working. We have tens of millions of people out there who may indeed disagree among themselves. But one thing they do agree on is live and let live. And we win by going out unapologetically and forcefully into the world. You will actually have better Democrats and better Republicans if a libertarian's in the room. The point here is to spread liberty into rooms that it currently isn't in. Lack of community, lack of purpose, and loneliness. That's what's killing our kids. We watch on TV and we see how panicked the establishment is. Our retirement's job is to oppress you, and your job is to prescribe the limits to their oppression. Simple and plain.